This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a turn of the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to talk about the latest news involving Le'Veon Bell and dip into the mailbag, too, with our friend from JetsInsider.com, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, you know, just sitting here sorting through uh, Le'Veon Bell arguments all over this this place. And, uh, you know, I've been digging into a little bit college tape, getting ready for draft and all that, so... So let's talk about Mr. Le'Veon Bell. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News reporting that the Jets are not expected to break the bank for Le'Veon Bell. Now, obviously, Chris, you and I were joking about this off of the air, but that could mean a lot of different things. For me, that came off as the Jets more or less saying, we are not going to let Le'Veon Bell's agent use us as leverage the way Kirk Cousins' agent did last year and set a tone from the outset that they're not going to, quote-unquote, back up the truck for Le'Veon Bell and just give him anything he wants. Instead, they're going to try and have measured negotiations. I still believe that they are going to go hard after Le'Veon Bell and offer him a very large contract. Our old friend Carl was talking about this on Twitter as well, (laughs) and his source, for what it's worth, and I confirmed this with him via text, says that Manish is essentially just parroting something that the front office wants out there as a way to make Le'Veon Bell and his agents not think that they have the upper hand in negotiations. So where do you come down on this, Chris? Do you think that it's all more or less a head fake by the Jets and they leak this out there so that they don't get used by Bell's agent the way they did by Cousins' agent last year? Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense. Because, I mean, like you said, the, the won't break the bank is a very vague term, like, I don't understand. How can they possibly break the bank on Le'Veon Bell? They have $93 million in cap space to spend. They're not giving him $100 million next year. Like, that would break their bank. Even paying him quarterback money wouldn't break their bank. So, like, you know, take that literally, obviously, it, it, it means nothing. I think it's just exactly what you said, especially because. At the end of the season, when McCagnan was talking to us reporters, he was very clear that they're going to be aggressive in free agency, which, of course, you know, he says every year. Um, and everybody has been saying, oh, the Jets are going to go hard after Bell. They're going to do this and that. So I I think, just like you said, with the Kirk Cousin stuff, with him filming the documentary and then they're coming out afterwards, and it was, okay, he just used you guys for leverage. Which, you know, the thing with that, too, go ahead, let somebody use you for leverage, just as long as you know that's what they're doing. Like, that, who cares, really? Like, with Kirk Cousins, who cares? It didn't stop them there. They knew their plan B was to turn to the draft afterwards. So, as long as you understand that and you're not wasting time getting too caught up in that, all right, fine, whatever. But um, they have more than enough money to pay him way more than anybody is going to pay him to worry about break bank it's just i that it's a little bit of protection a little bit especially with levy on bell the guy did just sit out a full season because he didn't think he was going to get paid enough so negotiation he's going to try to get every last cent and they're trying to tell him right now we want you we'll pay you but we're not going to let this drag out and stop ourselves from going after other people and all that type of stuff just to let you use us for leverage somewhere else. And along those lines, Chris, what do you think 
is the line that they should draw in the sand? This is the first question in the mailbag from our buddy Paulie Brzez, who's one of the co-hosts here at Turn on the Jets Digital on our show. What's your point? He wanted to know what you thought a reasonable offer for Bell is that they should not exceed and at what point they should move on from him and think about either drafting a running back or going after somebody like Tevin Coleman. The first part of that equation is they have to assess their uh, likelihood that they'll be able to get a Tevin Coleman. Because um, it's one thing to sit there and say, okay, we're going to try with Le'Veon, and then if we don't, move on to Tevin Coleman. But if you do that and it's too late and Tevin's gone somewhere else or you just find out too late that he has his eyes or heart set somewhere else, then all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. If the Jets don't get Le'Veon Bell this offseason, I don't think it's going to be a huge miss, a huge disaster if he chooses to sign somewhere else. But they need to sign a Tevin Coleman. They uh, At worst case, they need, and either whether they get Bell or Tevin Coleman, they should still look to add one in the draft if the one matches up with the value and the price point there. So now the what would be the line? I don't know that I'd really say there is a line because you're going to say something around like 15 million per or something like that. And as we know with, with contracts, it's really about the guaranteed money and this way beyond that's all Avion's going to care about. So front load that contract, be willing to go a little bit over what you should, if you have to, because again, looking at their, their, uh, you know, the money they have owed to players in the next couple years, there's so few people that they owe money to coming up. They're go- Not only do they have money this year, they have more money than they can spend, and it's going to be the same next year and the year after that, and until they can actually start drafting qual- a, a good amount of quality players themselves. So you can look around that 15 line, but and then uh, this is Le'Veon's case, is – He's a running back, but he's also a receiver, and he's used his both. So I'm willing to go a little bit over what that line would be for Le'Veon Bell in this specific circumstance because they need playmakers. They need difference makers. So go ahead, go a million or two over. Just front load that deal. Make sure it's not more than two or three years guaranteed money and just get the difference maker, that playmaker that this roster and Sam Darnold desperately needs. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think what this boils down to is a matter of scarcity and the amount of money that they have to spend. The scarcity coming into play in the fact that there are no other elite weapons that are available without having to give up major draft capital. So whether that's somebody like Antonio Brown or A.J. Green, and those guys are older anyway. Le'Veon Bell you could get without having to surrender draft picks. And here's a guy that's a legitimate all-pro player and not just the running back. This is a guy who's a superb blocker for a running back, which is a nice trait. And as you mentioned, of course, a fantastic weapon in the passing game. You could make the case that he's one of the top two or three running backs in the league, if not the best running back in the league, and would be an outstanding weapon for Sam Darnold, especially as he's in his rookie deal. So for me, I understand that there's some baggage there. Obviously, he's been suspended, so one more infraction and he could have a really long suspension. He did have that one really bad injury, so there's that. There's some rumblings that he and his teammates may not have completely gotten along. So I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like Kirk Cousins and the only question was whether or not Kirk Cousins was a quote-unquote elite quarterback or whatever. The questions are completely different with Le'Veon Bell. There's zero doubt whatsoever about the quality of Le'Veon Bell's play. It's just that baggage and then the fact that obviously it's a lot easier to find a running back. They seem to be a dime a dozen, but Bell is not your typical running back. The Jets have a fortune to spend, and for me... They need to get a deal done because they've got to put an elite playmaker there with Sam Darnold. And so if you have to offer him a Todd Gurley type of contract where it's 40 to $45 million in guarantees and they all come in the first two or three years of the contract, do what you got to do. Get him in here because if it's not Le'Veon Bell, it's going to end up being mediocre players like Isaiah Crowell and Spencer Long. Yeah, no, I just want to add this too because I still see a lot of confusion about this with people you know, still not sure understanding what it is that Le'Veon Bell did last year and still hitting him with this quitter label and which if you want to do that fine but it's very simple what he did last year he looked at what the Steelers were going to pay him and he determined that that money alone wasn't worth it for him to go back to the Steelers and let them use him up let them give him a couple hundred touches a year and let him risk injury going into that contract year. If if he goes in there and he gets 300 touches and is run into the ground, all of a sudden he has that wear and tear, he gets hurt later in the season, that is going to affect him going into his next contract. He determined that the 13-5 or whatever it was wasn't worth it for that year alone to possibly risk losing future money. So people have this concern that he's going to get paid and he's going to come in and he's not going to work. No, Le'Veon Bell wants to make this money up. He wants to make the money he missed last year. He wants to collect on this and he's going to come in and he's going to work. And like this idea that he hasn't been working out, he hasn't, it's ludicrous to think that a professional athlete is who cares about his money as much as Le'Veon Bell clearly cares about his money isn't going to go and make sure he's ready. Teams are going to see him when they bring him in to 
you know, talk contracts. They're going to see if he's out of shape. They're going to know this type of stuff. He's going to be ready, and he's going to want to make that money back. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this too, Chris. A lot of people look down on him for the holdout. And I understand the sentiment because when you're a football fan, all you want is for the guy to be in there. And even when you're a football player, it's the whole in the trenches mentality. But it takes a lot of guts to turn down $15 million and bet on yourself like that. And to me, that shows you that this is a guy that really believes in himself and wants to be great. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be paid. I think it's different than Revis, too, because people are still stung by that. Remember, Revis was holding out because he was still on a rookie deal and he wanted major money. Le'Veon Bell was going to get $15 million if he showed up last year, and he decided, no, I would rather have control of my future and where I go and where I'm used. I have nothing but respect for that. I understand why some people don't like it, but I really have a ton of admiration for what Le'Veon Bell did, and I do think that the the Jets should do everything that they can to land him in the offseason. And if they do, it will help a lot if that offensive line is a lot better than it was last year. And to that end, Chris, that comes our next question from Kevin, who's on Twitter as at Spotty Blackman. He wants to know how many additions would be considered too few to the offensive line because Mike McCagnan hasn't really invested much on the OL in the drafts. The only notable exception is Brandon Shelley. Even that wasn't any kind of major investment. He was a fifth rounder. They traded a fourth rounder to go up and get him, but they haven't used any of their major asset picks to go and get offensive linemen. So I guess what Kevin really wants to know is how many of your first few picks would you be willing to use to address the offensive line problem? Um, I'd be willing to use them all. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the, like Obviously, it depends on who's available at each spot and, you know, if they trade down and this and that. But if you tell me that the Jets come away with three quality offensive linemen with their first three picks, I am not going to sit here and tell you that's a bad thing. Um, could, could they have possibly looked somewhere else? Sure, of course. Uh, but this offensive line is not good. It hasn't been good for some time. I say this every single year, and the next year I have to say it again because people still don't listen. Look at all the best teams in the NFL year in and year out. They're all the teams with the best offensive lines in football. The Patriots struggled a bit during the regular season, especially on the road. The offensive line was a little up and down. The offensive line has played outstanding throughout the playoffs and down the stretch of the season. That's the biggest difference in the Patriots right now. The Rams, the reason why the Rams are so good, why Goff has looked so good, and why Gurley and C.J. Anderson, they have a great offensive line. The Colts had such a huge uh, turnaround this year. Why do you think that was? Because of their offensive line. The offensive line is, you know, the quarterback's the most singular important position in football. We know this. The offensive line is the most important unit in football. A great offensive line will cover up for mediocre quarterbacks and running backs. It'll help the wide receivers out. And a bad offensive line will torpedo everything great around them. You need to do that. It's, it's cool and good to buy free agents offensive lines when you can. See somebody that you can get and you know they'll help, then you pounce on it. Can't go cheap, otherwise you end up with a Spencer Long type scenario. But you have to look to build your, dra your 
offensive line through the draft and to add a piece here and there in free agency. So if they want to go buy uh, Matt Paredes, then cool. But they need to start investing some of these early round value picks on the offensive line. That is the most important unit in all of football, and they haven't been adding any talent there. And for Jets fans still doubting me, the Berkshaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold in the first round in the same year. And that's pretty much a mic drop end of story right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that, Chris. And I think people forget because they'll talk about how the Jets went shopping in 2008 for offensive linemen when they went out and got Alan Fanica and Damian Woody. But they were only able to be big difference makers because you had a young Mangold and a young Ferguson there already. So when you combine the two, it was a perfect meld of the older veterans and the younger upstarts. And it made for an outstanding offensive line for a couple of years. I think the big problem for the Jets is, as you said, they haven't invested in this offensive line. They haven't gone out and been able to get a real difference maker in free agency. They haven't used a high draft pick on one. Unfortunately, I don't see them being able to do that again this year because I don't see a tackle that's going to be worth the third pick in the draft. Now, if they trade down, that might yeah. be somewhere they go. But if they sit at number three, I don't think they're going to do that. However... I would go out, try and get the best offensive lineman you can in free agency. I don't think that there are any great options, really, but whatever you can get. And in the draft, look, I'll be honest, man, I would be fine with using the vast majority of their mid-round picks, third, fourth, and fifth on offensive line, if that's where they felt they could do the most good. Because quite frankly, there's a lot of help that is needed there. I'm not against either taking two of the best offensive linemen you can find in the third round, which is something similar to what the Colts did. Obviously, they did it with a first and a second rounder last year, but right. still, they used early picks, and they got two starters. So I'm not against using two third-round picks on offensive linemen. Or if there's an offensive lineman you really, really love in the second round and think could make a difference, packaging those two third-rounders and going up and getting a guy like that. Either way, I think they need to make a major investment on the offensive line in some form or fashion. They'll start this year, but next year is going to be another year where I think they're going to have to use major draft picks and major money if they have any left over to do what they can to upgrade that unit because without a strong offensive line, it's going to be an uphill battle for anybody, whether it's Sam Darnold or if they land Le'Veon Bell, same thing for him. So that's a unit that has absolutely got to improve. And one way that it should improve is with Frank Pollock. Now, it hasn't officially been announced, but it looks like it's pretty much a done deal. He is one of the position coaches that is in here, but we haven't heard a ton about position coaches being added on this staff, and Frank wants to know, are the Jets having trouble finding and signing position coaches, or is this just a lack of reporting? These guys are pretty much set, but we're not hearing about it. I think it's closer to the latter there. Um, you know, they, they got... Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to prove it right now. They're bringing uh, the wide receivers coach from the Dolphins along with them. I don't even remember his name. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, you know, us reporters, like, yes, w we will report on, uh, you know, Frank Pollock. But, like, it's the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator. will tell you about uh, the position coaches here and there. But um, then. Once those positions are settled, we're not really digging in to try to find out, you know, all the uh, little bits of each individual position groups. That stuff will sort itself out. And uh, I think it's, you know, partially there could be, you know, somebody that they want to bring in is, you know, 
is still under contract and hasn't been out of contract. There's so there's so many little things like that. So that'll all round itself out. I can't. I I don't see. I haven't heard anything where it's like, and we're really struggling to find these positions. There hasn't been any talk of anything like that. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Chris, this one comes in from our friend Michael Christopher, who, as I said, is one of my favorites on Twitter, always asking great questions and bringing up interesting ideas. He says, at the Senior Bowl, John Elway was supposedly seen talking with Brian Hemmerdinger a lot. If Denver wants to trade up to get a quarterback, what type of package do you think that the Jets could get? And then who do you like for them to target if they do move down to the 10 to 15 range? Yeah, there's this. Uh, there's a couple parts of this because you know I I saw everybody talking about that same interaction, which who knows what they were talking about? They could have been talking about anything, and they could have not been talking about trading. And there's plenty of time left for them to do that. But the the question for me, especially if we're talking specifically about the Broncos and their reported and totally believable love of Drew Locke, is do they need to trade up to? To draft Drew Locke, I don't know that they're going to have to trade up to draft Drew Locke. They might, and we'll see. We'll get a better field on that as the draft gets closer because we know court, how quarterbacks can get inflated and go way higher than they should. But I'm not a, I'm not sold right now that they're going to have to trade up to get Drew Locke. If they do trade up to uh, have want to trade up to get Drew Locke, I would probably obviously they'd have to swap their first. Uh, I would probably say a second and a fourth would get it done. Maybe a second and a, a uh, you know, a third next year might get it done. It's not going to be qu- quite the same as it w- would have been last year or in other years, just because nobody is as sold on these guys. Then they're, they're not going to be able to get quite the haul back. They might be able to get more of a haul back if. Nick Bosa magically slips to three and they decide they want to trade out then that might make the price go up right now so I think Jets have fans have to lower their expectations a little bit the halls it's not going to be a Robert Griffin Andrew Luck Carson Wentz type of haul that you're you know you're getting um but if if they can trade back you know five seven spots and pick up a second rounder and an extra third or fourth they i think they have to do that especially because if you look at this draft they need offense we all agree they need offense the offensive talent isn't at the you know the top first 10 picks in this draft that's not where you want to spend your your pick in those first top 10 so if they can drop down there and then if they can drop down at 10 to 15 range and then Jonah Williams is still available now all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to take a closer look at that Jonah Williams pick. I don't feel good about him. I haven't dug into his tape yet, but I don't feel good about taking Jonah Williams at number three right now. Take him at the you know 10 to 15 range, and now we're talking. 
Yeah, this is where I come at it, essentially. I think if Nick Bose is available at three, unless somebody gives you an insane offer, you take him and that's the end of it. I agree. And I think Quinn and Williams is a guy that's interesting because a lot of people are going to say you can't take another defensive lineman. But remember, they're switching from a 3-4 to a 4-3, so it becomes more important to have those guys. You team him with Leonard Williams, that could be a really nasty combination. Plus, when you're dealing with guys like Tom Brady who are bothered a lot by interior pressure, Those are two guys that could really cause some havoc when they play the Patriots And quite frankly, I just think he's so much better than anybody else that would be on the board Unless Bosa is there That I would be willing to trade down, but you'd have to make me a solid offer I wouldn't just trade out for the sake of trading out Now, if both of those guys are gone Josh Allen, for me, is a guy who is probably the most talented of the remaining guys But I don't know that he's an ideal fit in the 4-3 So I'd be tempted to trade back and get some other assets to use later on in the draft I think the big thing here is How much of a difference do you think there is between, say, Quinn and Williams and whoever you have as your next player? For me, there's a significant difference, and this is what leads into our next question, Chris. This comes from Will. He says, besides Bosa, if you're Mac, which players would have to be available for you to be hesitant to trade out of that number three pick? He brings up Josh Allen, and I'm going to throw that to you in a second because I know you've watched some of his film by now. For me, it would be Quinn and Williams more than Josh Allen for the reasons that I just said. But what do you think? Who could be sitting there at number three besides Nick Bosa that would make you say, hmm, you better blow me away with a trade offer if I'm going to move out of this spot? It's Bosa, and that's it for me right now. Now, uh, full transparency, I haven't dug into the tape on Williams yet, and I didn't even watch them all that much this season because every time I tried to watch Alabama they were already up by 30 points so I wasn't going to sit there and watch them beat the Citadel you know <laughs> so like I watched less of Alabama than I normally do this uh, this year um so for for Williams specifically it's going to be you know obviously I'm not expecting that he's going to be Aaron Don- Donald but if he can rush the passer like you know 60 to 70 percent as good as Aaron Donald then I might uh, amend that and go ahead and include him with Bosa on that list so I'm not going to say that you know I by the time the draft comes around that I won't have Williams in that stance but right now it's Bosa and that's it um I you know Williams is not going to be a bad pick he will help this team obviously but to be able to trade down, collect, uh, you know, it depends on the offers, but to collect extra picks and then to be able to turn that focus to the offensive line and some playmakers, I think that will do the Jets more good than just drafting Williams would. I hear you. I just think that Williams is a guy who's a special talent. I think he could be an Ndamukong Sue type, minus all of the baggage that Ndamukong Sue had, obviously. Yeah. And so for me, I'd be more than happy to move out of that spot. But if he's on the board, I need a decent offer at least. I'm not just going to move for the sake of it because what I'm afraid of is this is a year where I don't see, as you said, the quarterbacks being as in demand as they have been in past years, especially last year. So I'm not sure that the market is there for a major trade down move. And so I would be hesitant 
to move out of that spot if Williams is sitting there unless I got a decent offer because if some team calls up and is basically like, hey, we'll take the pick off of your hands and we'll give you a third rounder or something like that. To me, the difference between Williams and the next guy is too substantial to make a move like that. And as I said, I know it's not a sexy pick and people hate the idea of picking defensive linemen. But again, remember, this is a much different situation than when they drafted Leonard Williams because instead of a 3-4, now it's a 4-3. Plus, when they drafted Leonard Williams, they already had Sheldon Richardson and Muhammad Wilkerson. Now you only have one guy who's a real potential difference maker. Again, I said potential because we haven't completely seen that from Leonard Williams yet. And I also think that Quinn and Williams would do a lot to raise the game of Leonard Williams. And yeah, that's that- indisputable. Yeah, and I think the two of them could be an absolute force up the middle there. And then that gives you some extra leverage with Leonard Williams if you keep him because then you have a situation where you could franchise tag him if he has a really good year. Or even if he doesn't have that good of a year, you could get a third-round compensation pick if he walks. So I think it raises the value of Leonard Williams. I think it adds a real element of danger to that defense, especially when you're playing somebody like Tom Brady. And so unless I'm getting a solid offer, and I'm not saying a blowaway offer, just a solid offer, I'm staying there and I'm picking Williams if he's on the board. My nightmare here would be that Bose and Williams are both gone because I think that those are the two guys that are far above everybody else given the Jets' system that they run and given who's available and everything. And then they're stuck sitting at three, having to pick between a bunch of guys that are pretty similar. That's where I would say, okay, maybe now I might consider a trade offer that's not even all that great. Take a third and a fourth or something to just get out of this spot. Because why pick a guy that I think is more or less on the same exact level as a guy I could get five or six spots later? So that's the way I would approach it. But I'm with you. I think Nick Bosa is head and shoulders above, not specifically on talent, because I think Quentin Williams is right there with him on talent. But I just think that the edge position is that much more important. So I would say that if Bosa is there, it would take... A monster offer for me to move If Quentin Williams is there It would take a really good offer for me to move And if neither one of them is there As much as I like Allen I don't think he's an ideal fit in a 4-3 So I would be willing to move for anything That isn't basically an insult That's where I come at this from Yeah, I want to add with Josh Allen I know uh, we had somebody ask about him last week And during the season You know, I watched Allen I watched the games But during the season I was still thinking In the 3-4 sense and um, I was judging him, evaluating him that way. I watched a handful of his games uh, this week, and it's very clear right now. He's a three-four outside linebacker. He wins with speed, and if he if he gets past the lineman, he is going to win. And he can overrun and then stop on a dime and come back and still make a play. His speed is elite, and he will win that way. But if a uh, if the offensive lineman gets even a little bit in front of him, if the offensive lineman can get a hand on him, he stops kind of dead in his tracks a lot. And there's just not a lot of power moves there. He he can win with speed. He's elite with speed as a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's going to do really well. He's going to eat in this league. I do not see him having the power and strength to hold up as a 4-3 end. And that would concern me. Again, you look at uh, the Jets and uh, their misuse of the defensive lineman they've gotten, whether it was Quinton Coples and him as a 3-4 outside linebacker when he should have 
been inside and winning was inside leverage. You look at what they did with Sheldon Richardson and how they did the same type of thing with him, moving him to a three, four outside linebacker because they didn't know how to fit him with Leo and Mohammed Wilkerson. Obviously it's a whole nother staff, but the idea of worrying about Josh Allen and trying to make him fit from a three, four to a four, three, I, maybe he can bulk up and get stronger and he can learn some leverage moves and power moves. But from what I've seen on tape, I just don't see it's a good fit. And again, same thing. If you want to trade back, acquire more picks, and then take that chance with a team pick on him, cool. But number three pick overall, I've watched that tape, and I was just like, yeah, I don't see it with this in the fourth, mostly a four three with this player here. I just, I that's too rich for my blood. I agree. I think that if Greg Williams hadn't come in here and they were still running a 3-4, he would have been the perfect fit. But I yeah. think it's kind of funny how the values for the Jets flipped between Josh Allen and Quinn and Williams based on the scheme change because now I think that Allen becomes significantly less valuable and Quinn and Williams become significantly more valuable. And I yeah. do think that Allen could be a good player in a 4-3, but I just don't think he could be a great player. And so that's why right. I would not draft him that high running a 4-3. I just can't see him reaching that all-pro level that you would expect from a guy who's going to be picked exactly. overall. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but those are cursory thoughts, and we're going to get into that a lot more. I know, Chris, with this polar vortex, you've been in side watching a lot of college tape so we're going to get into this a lot on the podcast over the coming weeks and months as we approach the nfl draft chris that'll wrap up this edition of the mailbag we'll do some more questions next week and of course break the latest news as well in the meantime for anybody that's not following you and reading your work why don't you go ahead and let them know where they can do that yeah, you can follow me on twitter at c nimbly and uh of course jetsinsider.com um you know still working on things on the site and getting stuff out there, but pumping out articles here and there and, uh, you know, working on uh, figuring out some podcast stuff of myself, but mostly it's just Twitter at C nimbly and the website right now. And as far as podcasts go, you can hear Chris here at turn on the Jets digital for sure. And if he needs help putting something together, I might be able to be coerced into that. It depends. Yes. I, I can be bribed with pizza. That's all I can tell you, Chris. <laughs> all right. That, that'll work. We can figure that out for sure. In the meantime, check out JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.